Welcome to Why Wonders Why, a companion podcast to smart enough to know better. This episode is titled Space Chemist. Long-term space travel is going to require a lot of recycling, reusing over and over again everything on the ship. And that includes the very carbon dioxide breathed out by the astronauts. And that's what our interviewee is working on, turning carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide into useful products. Enjoy. One person's trash is another person's treasure. And in this interview, we're going to see that one person's waste is another person's windfall. And to discuss what the heck I am talking about, we have Dr. Jared Fernando, a postdoc from the CSIRO in Melbourne. Hello, Dr. Jared. Hello. How's it going? Going very well. Thank you very much. Can I start by giving Peter Duggan, my colleague, a shout out? Uh, who introduced me to you, and I assume that this is some kind of ice bucket style thing where I can nominate the next person that you interview as well. (laughs) Oh, I love it. That's fantastic. Please do pass it down the chain, an unbroken chain. We can call it the Peter interviews from now on. (laughs) That'd be great. Many years' time, that's all that'll be left. (laughs) Of all human civilization of these into anyway, moving wow, that got weird, strange, very, very quickly. Let's get back to what we're talking about. So can you tell the people who are listening, uh, Dr. Jared, what you actually do? Yeah, so I am a chemistry researcher. Um when I tell people I'm a chemist, the half of them assume that I work at chemist warehouse, but that's not that's not it. We doing work on basically trying to utilize waste products like CO2, carbon dioxide, Mm. and turn them into useful materials. So I'm doing that with the help of sort of two main strategies, I suppose. One being photochemistry. So that's where you shine light at your chemistry and hope it does nice things. And electrochemistry, where you zap your reaction with electricity and hope it does nice, nice things. Right. Yeah, I've seen both of these in Frankenstein, like what electricity, and then in the in the Rocky Horror Picture Show version, they use rainbows. So I know exactly what you're talking about here. I'm sure it's very similar. Yeah, that's basically it. Far (laughs) less success though. (laughs) Ah, drat. We'll we'll go on to that. But I love the idea that you're taking a what's considered a waste product, especially nowadays with climate change of CO2 and carbon monoxide. And turning them, these are useless things, really, not really useful to us. So they're degrad- um, degrading to the environment and you're trying to find a way to utilize them. Yeah, it's, uh, well, as you might imagine, it's quite difficult sometimes to utilize gases like that, especially waste products. And as you said, it's pretty detrimental to the environment. And so if you can, in- if you can develop new methods for turning it into useful materials, you can really incentivize others to start you know, pulling it out of the atmosphere. So when you say into useful items or useful things, what sort of useful things are we talking about? A lot of it is sort of stock chemicals, so chemistry for chemists, I would call that. But Mm -hmm. a lot of it would be things like drugs, 
and sort of other biologically relevant molecules, things like amino acids, stuff like that. So, for example, with carbon dioxide, when we manage to successfully utilize that, we, we call it a one carbon building block. It has a single carbon in it. And you can turn that into what's called a carboxylic acid. And so when, when you say amino acid, the acid part of amino acid is a carboxylic acid. So you can basically turn carbon dioxide into, you know, life's building blocks right. amongst other huh. things. So another example might be something like aspirin or ibuprofen. Both of those contain carboxylic acid functional groups. Okay. So there's, there's plenty of things. Wow. They're like very ubiquitous in biologically relevant compounds. Right. And so is this expensive to generate or hard to generate just bef- not by breaking carbon dioxide down, but how would you normally make carbolic acid? Uh, carboxylic acids. Um, carboxylic acids. There, there are a lot of different ways um, to make to make things. Um, it's not always about making something that you can't previously, but just, yeah, in this case, it's about using... I guess, a waste product. And also Mm. when it comes to things like electrochemistry and photochemistry, they're both quite, I I suppose you could call them green techniques. They're very efficient Mm. a lot of the time. Obviously, visible light, which we use, uh, is a a green technique because hopefully you can use just light from the sun, for example. And often if you use things like electrochemistry, you don't need to use other nasty chemicals. So Mm. it's a very direct technique you're basically manipulating the molecules themselves as opposed to needing to use another molecule to, to, to do that. So it's, it's like cutting, like having a catalyst or yeah. a chemical reaction to make something else happen. It's basically even like, in some cases in, with electrochemistry, you, electrochemistry, you don't even need a catalyst. Like you've just, you're just completely directly manipulating your substrate. Right. And, if it's photochemistry and electrochemistry, does that mean you could just use solar power to run your science, uh, your instruments? So you could just power it from the sun and it would be no fuel required. I mean, th- I guess that's in chemistry. That's that's like, like one of our, well, well, I guess one of the things you might strive, strive towards. Mm. Not all reactions will work like that. Like... Uh, it's it's great when you see in some papers people will do this thing sort of towards the end. They might do just a, that that sort of silly reaction just to prove that they can, where they're like might right. leave their you know their beaker or something out in the sun, and then right. that does the chemistry that like their chemistry is so uh, good or so efficient that and, and so robust that you can just leave your reaction out in the sun and that's what does it. Um, yeah. but, but it doesn't, it doesn't always quite work like that. <laughs> sure. But you could that certainly, like- you could certainly power your electrochemical batteries with solar cells. So, okay. That's the, that's at least, uh, that does sound like a, a video I saw where someone hypothetically started talking about whether you could slap a chicken enough to cook it. <laughs> yes. And, I've seen that. And, and so that sounds like that. I'll just put my beaker out in the sun and it's like slapping the, the chemical chicken enough with the sunlight. Yeah. If, if I slap yeah. my beaker enough, will my chemistry work? <laughs> That's right. If I add enough energy by hitting it with my hand. Let's, well, look, there's probably a PhD in there somewhere, at least a master. I wouldn't maybe, advise maybe. hitting your chemistry with your hand. <laughs> Do, don't try this at home. <laughs> Fair enough. Look, I'll, I, will, uh, I will bow to the doctor of chemistry here on that one. What's the process? I mean, not not the state secrets, not the NDA stuff, but what's the process for 
actually converting CO2 and carbon carbon monoxide? Is it is it a difficult thing? Yeah. So one of the techniques that we use and it's sort of um, utilized in my group a lot is flow chemistry. So flow chem- we we would call the split ke- split chemistry up into flow and and batch chemistry. So batch chemistry is like you just mix all your things in in one pot. Whereas flow chemistry is you can kind of think of it like almost like an assembly line or or a conveyor belt something like that. So you're consist like pumping your starting materials through a reactor with a pump and that's sort of a continuous process. What that means is that it's often uh, safer because you're only ever utilizing a very small amount of the reactant at any one time and you're continuously getting your products out at the end. But what we can use it for as well is that we can pressurize that whole system and we use that to dissolve a lot more gas in it than you would be able to without that pressure. But also because things like carbon monoxide are very uh, toxic and uh, poisonous gas. You only need to use a very small amount of it at any one time because you're just doing a continuous flow. So at any one time, there's only a little bit. So it it allows us to do that safely. So from the, I just want to just give my layman's knowledge and just trying to get my head around this. You're talking about putting putting something under pressure and you put more gas in it. That makes me think of, it's an odd place to go to, but when you go deep sea diving and you can get more nitrogen in your blood and you have to be careful when you come to the surface because the petri- the, the pressure decreases and if you go too high, sorry, if you come to the surface too quickly, it comes out of your, your blood to, as gas and you end up with the bends. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. So when you're when you're under the ocean, obviously in a highly pressurized environment, more of your the gas that you're breathing into your lungs can dissolve in your blood. Um, and this is exactly the same thing. So we just artificially pressurize it rather than putting our re- reagents in the ocean. So yeah, that allows us to d- dissolve more of the gas that we want, like the carbon di- dioxide or carbon monoxide. Okay, and allows so it a to much do higher concentration. Yep. And so, because of that, because as you can imagine, if you're just sort of have your flask open on the bench, you might be able to bubble gas through it, but you can't ever sort of trap it in there unless you mm. use pressure to do so. All right. So, you need less amount of the, the reactant and you can get more of it into the solution. Yeah, that's exactly right. That makes sense. And this means you can, it'll react faster or the process happens quicker? Yeah, or at all sometimes. So, um, (laughs) that, that's definitely one of our, our techniques. And then basically what we would then do is design our reaction to involve what we would call a reactive intermediate. And so we would design a process in order to simultaneously have the, the gas dissolved and this reactive intermediate in solution that can then uh, react with the carbon dioxide or the carbon monoxide. Sometimes we oh, might right. use a catalyst as well. You said catalyst before. And yeah, so at the moment, oh, we I use it. I use that term very <laughs> inadvisedly. Like when I used it and then I was like, Oh, stop using big words. You vaguely understand Greg, but he's going to call, call you out on it. And here we are. So please. Here we are. Yeah. So a, a, a catalyst is something that allows a reaction to occur faster without itself being consumed. And so 
often that means that instead of a reaction taking literally a thousand years, you can see it in like a few minutes on, on, in the lab. So we are sometimes use a catalyst, um, because it's well known in chemistry that these, some of these gases will interact with certain metals that allows them to be utilized more easily. It's kind of like what, um, catalytic converters in your car do as well. When we first talked about doing this interview, one of the interesting things you mentioned, how you were working with organizations to start taking your experiments into space. Yeah. And that's, and, and I guess I want to ask why, why? <laughs> Cause it seems very expensive. It's like $10,000 per kilogram to get something into space. So why not just do that on the ground and save yourself $10,000 a kilogram? It is incredibly expensive. Let me tell you, I was looking over some of the grants that my boss and our, our collaborators in the U S were, were looking over and they're like, you know, a CASIS grant, the science funding that that uh, in America that allows you to go to space, but it's like you know you the the, the lowest one is like still like a million dollars or something. US. <laughs> it's like crazy. So yeah, they they sink a lot of money into this stuff, but it is a lot cheaper now that uh, companies like SpaceX are involved. Mm-hmm. So as people might know, that means that they can reuse the rockets. So they mm-hmm. they land them again, and uh, that has definitely helped costs. Um, but anyway, in space. On the ISS, which is where these things happen, there's a lot of, uh, because it's a microgravity environment, and I guess that means you're basically weightless. The way that things work up there is very different. And for example, crystals grow differently up there. They are often much more pure, much more ordered, which is good for analysis of certain things like proteins. However, our motivation is, is less because things are better up there, but more looking towards the future in terms of long space flights or uh, Mm. even to the future future where there might be space colonies, things like that. And a lot of these astronauts will require certain things for those voyages. Even Mm. if, you know, if they get a headache, they need to take some ibuprofen too. Uh, So (laughs) instead instead of hauling, you know, kilograms of ibuprofen with with them or paracetamol (laughs) or whatever it is if you can take the building blocks for a range of different things and then a machine that can assemble them Mm. then it might be better for long-term voyages and things like that and especially if you can start using things like astronauts breath so as you know we all breathe out co2 and we've just been talking about utilizing CO2. So mm-hmm. if you can f- use in, in space, they're obsessed with recycling because everything's so difficult to get up there. So they want to use everything they can. You know, they're recycling your urine, stuff like that. One yes. of the things they <laughs> don't utilize that well is, yeah, CO2 that astronauts expire. A lot of the time it's just filtered out, it's scrubbed out and they kind it's of scrub- yeah. throw it no. away. When you, I mean, because people use that term a lot, like they scrub out the CO2, but can you explain that a bit better? As in, when scrubbing it out, what does that mean? I must admit, I don't know exactly how they work, but they're just like, it's essentially some sort of. It's a chemical reaction, though, isn't it? It, Yeah. It's it's turning into something else. It's like taking it and then turning it into a compound. So it would have, have like a high surface area that the air would pass through. 
in order to have a much kind of like how your lungs have a much mm. higher surface area so that you can breathe more efficiently. The, the scrubbers mm. will have some sort of high surface area, I'd, I'd imagine. I, I'm straying outside my area no, now. No, no, that's fine. No, that's, fine. <laughs> that's okay. No, I realized as I was saying, I was like, oh, no. Uh, look, if anyone, everyone needs to know, just go watch Apollo 13, the Tom Hanks movie. Uh, it's all explained in there, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, they make scrubbers <laughs> out of uh, astronaut socks if you're watching that movie or something. <laughs> there you go. So Square look, peg, round hole, something like that. <laughs> that's the one that you got. That's it, exactly. So, yeah, but the, so it's a way of, but they're not using the CO2. The important part is they're not, they're not taking the CO2 and storing it. They're not using it again. They're just taking it out of the air. Yeah. So the well, astronauts y- don't asphyxiate. Yeah. Which, which is always a good important. step. <laughs> yeah. We're, ho- hopefully on, you know, long space flights, they might start to use it for other things. So you could capture it and then use it for, as his building blocks. This sounds very close to a very proto version of a Star Trek replicator. <laughs> So, so, you know, that's that, um, idea that you can just make, you type in yeah, whatever you, you go, want and it's like, yeah, computer, pizza. all gray, hot, and a, you know, hot steaming bowl of tea appears. Oh, it's, I'm it's, just now remembering the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy version of that, where it like breaks the ship to make tea. <laughs> Right. <laughs> yes. If, oh, yeah. See, Dan should have been here. But Dan's the Dan's the massive expert on uh, hitchhikers. Ah, oh, we missing out. Sorry. There you go, Dan. You've been missed out on. We, you knew we knew we'd need you for something there. Uh, <laughs> it's where you're going though, because you're talking about breaking things down and having a a library or or storage of different molecules that you can then recombine back into something else with a different system, not your system, but something else. Yeah. So this is. Not pretty cool. Uh, it's it's very cool. It's not like a new idea. I think anyone who's read any science fiction or anything like that would know that a lot of these futuristic concepts are: I type what I want, and it, the machine mm. just makes it, like food <laughs> or whatever it is. Yeah. But actually doing that in a chemical mm. sense is very difficult. One thing that immediately jumps to mind is how difficult we find it to purify things in the lab. So if a machine is just sitting there, even if it's got all the building blocks and it puts them all together, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's going to be very hard to stick with my ibuprofen analogy. It's going to be hard to turn that into a, you know, just like a tablet that it spits out. Sponsor me, Neurofin. Because, because that's right. <laughs> I don't know why. Okay, <laughs> hey, if Neurofin wants to sponsor the whole podcast, that's fine. We're happy. We come chat to us, email me at uh, greg at smartenough.org. I'll share it. I, I promise, Jared, I'll share the money with you. Just don't tell Dan. Shh, don't tell Dan. <laughs> so, and also, I just go for the uh, the generic chemist ibuprofen. It's fine. I don't know if that's... It's exactly that's the a, same. That's, that's my hot tip. A, Never yeah. get oh. a non-generic brand. It's exactly the same. Dr. Jared knows what he's talking about. He's a chemist. He makes his stuff from thin air, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that's not literally true, but I shouldn't say that. I'm sorry. But uh, he's working towards something that might be able to one day do that. When you say you can't put out a tablet, are you saying because you can't get pure enough concentration, there'd be too many impurities in there? Yeah, purification is often our biggest challenge. And sometimes we might take a hit on yield, which is like how much we make of something, if it's easier to purify. So I guess one of the big challenges for this kind of work will be integrating a purification system into it. But at the moment, you know, we're very, very early days. We're just sort of (laughs) proof of concept. Like, Mm. let's just shoot something into space, see see if it works, that kind of thing. That alone is cool. I wish someone would let me shoot something into space. I mean, that's I just have nothing that 
this universe wants me to fire into space and will pay a million dollars to make happen. Very exciting. <laughs> yeah, I really want to well, when the because the box is going to come back, mm. the box with our experiment oh. in it. And How so, big is this box of yours? It's tiny. But, uh, that's one of the biggest struggles of of this project. I mm. think is that we have a box. I don't remember the exact dimensions, but it's got to be less than half the size. Well, around maybe half the size of a shoebox. Oh and we're wow! Put okay, the okay. whole thing in there. So, it, ladies and gentlemen, if you're ever playing uh, with a very fun party game for a million years ago of is it smaller than a bread box, then uh, the answer, you can always pick this experiment. Yeah. No one will ever probably guess it. <laughs> very small. And the box will come back. And I mm. want to make sure that I steal something from it. I hope my <laughs> boss isn't listening. <laughs> <laughs> ah, no one listens to this podcast. Perfectly fine. I'm sure it's all fine. Yeah. Will it be going up and spending a lot of time in space or is it just like ballistic hop or is it in the International Space Station or is it, you know, what's the deal with going into space? Yeah. So we're working with, you know, a company in the US. I don't know if I'm allowed to say it. You can say it. I know. Look, listen, uh, <laughs> that's just, that's, you're the one who can decide. Bleep it if I'm not later, but, sure. um, okay. <laughs> but we're sure. working with Boeing in the US and I didn't sure. know they, not Bo- oh, Boeing. No, no, <laughs> my only enemy. <laughs> and they're, yeah, they're very interested in, they've, they've got a number of projects that have been to the ISS. Um, I didn't even know they did anything other than make planes, to be honest. And so we need to go through a number of tests on Earth first to make sure it's like when you vibrate it that it won't fall apart because so I've heard being shot into space is actually a quite, it's a tough process. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, yeah. You get knocked around a bit. But yeah, then then everything inside our box has to work on its own. And the astronaut will literally just plug it into their power, like put the box in their power source, push a button, and then it just goes. You can't always do that. There are a number of different experiments that obviously will require human input, but it's a lot easier if you can just automate your box so that they just have to push the on button and it does everything. And that's what ours will be like. Dr. Jared, can I I give one bit of unsolicited advice? (laughs) Yes. Make sure you check to see if it's an American plug or a Russian <laughs> plug on the ISS because they're all different. I've traveled the world and you get, ah, oh, I've got the wrong adapter and you have to, and I'd be horrified if they got up there and they're like, they put it in the, in the Russian part of the ISS and you're like, ah, oh, it doesn't plug in. We'll just spend the extra 10 grand on a universal adapter and send it. Oh, look at you. <laughs> That's why you're the doctor. <laughs> so it has to run itself. Okay. And then do you, uh, do you just get the data from that? From the box itself, or is it beamed it beamed down? You know what I mean? Like, is it transmitted? <laughs> yes. Is it transmitted back to you? Yes, it will be beamed down, Scotty. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so we will include a little a chip that basically can do some onboard analysis for us. We mm-hmm. thought it probably wise, just in case anything happened on the mm-hmm. return journey to our uh, priceless box, the million dollar box. But yeah, so we'll be getting some information during. It won't take long, to to be honest. I'm not sure how long it'll take, but, you know, less than a day. But oh, wow. Well, okay. Yeah, just because we won't be doing that many experiments. But then it's just on when they have a next available flight. Like, mm. 
I hear flights to the ISS these days, few and far between. Yeah, Yeah, few far between. But they have to drop a lot of, like, I know they they drop a lot of poop out this, just drop it out the side and, you know, burns up on re-entry. Sorry, everyone. That's true. (laughs) And, uh, but so your experiments have to go back when they're, when they said, when there's just space to return it, to slot it in somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Send it back down. And then we got to take that. It's, it's very cool. They have a whole range of options that, you know, if in case you need the thing that you're bringing back to be kept at a certain temperature or all kinds of, they, they know what they're doing. I've got to tell you, yeah. NASA. That's, um, <laughs> it's NASA. They've I had a that. bit of practice. <laughs> NASA, they know what they're doing. So you're like, get, get astronaut. Look, I'm very sorry, um, astronaut. You need to hug this the entire time on the way down. <laughs> it doesn't. It gets very nervous on reentry. You need to calm it down i think i think they would i think they would well i I, (laughs) animals have come back down so i don't see why al exactly right when it's returned what do you will you actually do any experiments on it then or really no that's it's just returning the box to you because it's a million dollar box (laughs) i think most of the cost is just sending it up there so i don't know if the box is a million bucks but no we will analyze do more analysis on earth which mm. will be much easier. So some of our analytical machines, they're really big. So mm. my favorite one, NMR, which if you've ever had an MRI, oh, exactly yes, yes. the same machine. Only okay. instead of putting a person inside it, we just put some chemicals in and it tells us what's in the ke- in, inside, basically. Oh, right. Yeah. MRI machines, pretty big. They have really big magnets on them. I've been yes. told we can't fit that in our half shoebox. So, we will have to do that back on Earth. Sure. Things like that, yeah. <laughs> okay. So, there's, some, so there's, there's a reason to bring it back, obviously, not just so you can nick parts of it. Yeah. That, that was the point I was... That's the point I was trying to get... <laughs> sorry, sorry. Allegedly, allegedly. That's like not... Totally allegedly. Now, here's the next question then, Dr. Jared. Are you trying to angle a way of getting yourself into space then? Because surely someone has to get up there with it. You know, really. Yeah. You, you seem like... Like, look, someone's got to do it, and you're willing to throw yourself on that uh, on that grenade. I'd take one for the team. humanity. I'd do it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You can just start putting it into your grant. Like, at least go on the vomit comet up and down, like the you know the because uh, you got to you got to practice. Par- you know, parabolic path. That's yeah, it. I'd love to honestly, but there is slim chance of that ever happening. <laughs> you got to keep working. Look, I, I'm sure you can. If there's something, this is very. I realize how complicated this is, and I've you know coming from it from a utter dunderhead uh, <laughs> position that I have here. What's the thing that people don't understand about your work and your, your research that you, that you wish they understood? Wow. E- everything. Can I say everything? <laughs> I've been trying to explain to my parents what I do for the last 10 years. And let me tell you, it's hard. Mm. I think because... So it's very easy, I think, to explain to someone what you're doing if you're trying to make like an anti-cancer drug or something like that. Mm. You're like, well, I'm trying to cure cancer. Easy, mm. uh, understandable. Mm. But everyone, we... Everyone applauds. Everyone goes, well done. Oh, well done. Bravo. Yes. Well, what we do is called methodology. We're trying to make new methods, find new ways of turning A into B. But mm. a lot of people often don't understand that you don't need to be making something specific for that to be Mm. important. It's not less the product and more about the transformation. And so I wish more people knew that I didn't actually have to be making anything usable 
<laughs> <laughs> yes, because what you what you're going to invent and what you're going to work on will lead to amazing products, but you're not working on the product exactly you're on the thing that makes the product on the process. Yes. Okay. So that makes you. So all these heroes who make these heroic things, you're the hero who makes the heroes. I suppose so. I mean, so, look, not all can, of us you, can cure cancer. Um, that's true. But, but you can you can enable people to cure cancer. Maybe, yeah. I I kind of say my analogy is like some. You know, if you're a carpenter, you use tools. Like, you you mm. know, hammer. I don't know what carpenters do. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what a carpenter is. Look, it's fine. We're all the same here. It's all good. But they use tools, right? <laughs> I've heard and so, yes. They need those tools to do their job. We're the ones that make the tools. Uh, so, yes. we are designing new tools all the time that chemists can keep in their chemistry toolbox. And then, Fantastic. yeah, they can use those tools to, to create maybe the new, new drug that cures cancer or more ibuprofen. Please we'll sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Whoever company wants to sponsor us. Well, Dr. Jared, I am a tool that has learned a lot. Thank you very much for sharing your time and uh, expertise with us today. And uh, yes, we look forward to taking many drugs made with your processes, legal drugs, legal drugs made with your processes in the future. Thank you very much. It's extremely exciting these new opportunities we have to build things in new ways, to, to send things into space as things become cheaper and cheaper. Of course, cheap is a relative term. It's still millions of dollars, but it's going to get cheaper. And we're going to learn to do exciting things in microgravity that will, of course, translate back down to the Earth and new ways of making drugs, new processes, as Dr. Jared was saying, of of creating things. And maybe, maybe potentially one day we'll get to all have our Earl Grey hot tea delivered to us by our replicator. All right, everyone. Thank you very much. Be kind to each other. And I will see you all in the next episode. Bye. I don't know what I was expecting, but it was, yeah, I guess more funny than I was expecting it to Good. be yeah <laughs> i saw i saw a um a video actually about the new terrible jurassic world movie and they showed a part where a dinosaur goes charging over a, a lab and they and there was like there was it's a genetics lab they just had these open beakers with colored liquid in that the dinosaur was knocking over and that's the, person, the, the, the scientists they had going, who leaves open beakers on tops of tables just for dinosaurs to kick over? It's like, that's a very good point. Anyway, I'm sure that you're much more responsible. It's like those terrible stock photos where someone's holding up, yeah, like what is most like, any, any real scientist would look at it and know there's just some food coloring in water. <laughs> and like the person's like holding up a piece of equipment that definitely doesn't work for what they're trying to do and pointing funnily and stuff like that. Yes. Look up it's, for anyone yeah. listening bad scientific stock photos and you'll find a bunch. Uh-huh.